Well, let's begin. I invite you to open up to page 1173 in your pew Bibles. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we will look today at verses 15 to 17, but just for context, let's back up and catch up just a little bit. But where we last left off, we looked at verses 1 to 14. We look at some characteristics and instructions on being imitators of God. In verses 1 and 2, we saw that being an imitator of God is to walk in the self-sacrificial love of Christ. We saw in verses 3 to 5 practices that do not imitate God, but inevitably imitate the world. And the people of God have the potential to do both. But as we will look at today, I want to pick it up from verses 6 to 14, as we will read. If you're there, let's take it from verse 6. Leaving off to where those who were propagating false theology and false teaching, Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness, but indeed even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason, it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now today's text. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. In this text, as we have seen in the book of Ephesians, we see contrasts. And we see these throughout the New Testament. One of the contrasts we've seen repetitively over and over is the contrast of the before and the after. As it pertains to before life in Christ and after life in Christ. In chapter 4, we looked at the contrast of the old and the new. There was an old way that we are to lay aside a former manner of life. And we we are to put on the new self. That's a contrast. But here we see, in verses 6 to 14, we see the before and after. But we also see another contrast. The contrast of light and darkness. Now, when we speak in the Bible metaphorically of light and darkness... Light is often synonymous with holiness, with righteousness, with truth. Light is often also synonymous with wisdom. God's wisdom, when you receive the light, is to see the wisdom, to receive God's truth. That comes from God's revelation. When a man and woman receive Christ, the light of God shines within their heart. And they see the glory of Christ. It's a supernatural work of God. 
But light, in contrast with darkness, darkness we see as well, often represents evil, lies, sin. Whereas light will represent godliness and God, darkness will represent ungodliness. Now, when you receive the light, change had come. We have seen the before and after many times. And you know you've received Christ. There has been change. You know it. And the associated behaviors that come with this new life are to be on display as we now represent Christ. We have a function here on the earth as light. We are to let a light so shine among men so they may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Matthew 5, verses 14 to 16, Jesus' words. We also see the function of light in Philippians. What Paul would say that we are to do all things without grumbling and complaining so we may be harmless children, blameless and harmless, in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. The children of God, from Noah's day to Paul's day to today, always walk in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. And there are many obstacles for you to be light. Your light, praise the Lord. You're new, praise the Lord. But guess what? Newsflash. You've changed. The world has not. The world remains in darkness. There's a spirit of this age that we function here as the light of the world. And we make a pilgrimage here on the earth through darkness until the Lord comes. Consequently, because of this, we need wisdom. Supernatural wisdom. God's wisdom to navigate through this earth. And that brings us to the contrast we're going to look at today. The contrast between wisdom and foolishness. We are to walk wisely. To walk wisely, you must have wisdom. As the evil of this day, there are so many obstacles for us. There are so many traps. We can be distracted. We can lose focus. And we can lose time very easily. We are commanded to imitate God. But many times, if we are negligent, we'll find ourselves, even maybe inadvertently, imitating the world. And that's not what we want, because that is foolishness. Now, in Proverbs, we often see wisdom leading to the path of righteousness, godly wisdom. And we see darkness often equated with foolishness. Today we will learn how to avoid foolishness. The foolishness of the evil days and the traps that come with it. Therefore, warning and instruction are given. We pick it up at verse 15. Therefore, be careful. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but wise. Therefore, Paul is going back and he's putting this all together, summarizing what has just been written. Be careful, because light, being light in the darkness of this world definitely has its challenges. But once again, Paul returning to the theme of walk. Be careful how you walk. This is parapeteo. We've seen it several times already. And we looked at in verse, in verse 1 and 2 that we are to walk in the love of God. 
But we are to walk worthy of our calling that we saw in chapter 4. That was one of the times we saw it. We often see as well here, walk in light. So when we say walk, what are we saying? Conduct yourself in all manners of life. Be careful how you live. Now, be careful how you walk is to take heed, is to perceive rightly how to live. And the New King James will translate this as walk circumspectly. That is with precision and exactness. Be careful how you walk, be precise, be exact. Not as unwise, but as wise. Because God's people have the potential to be unwise. Essentially, when you walk in wisdom, is to exercise the godly wisdom that you have acquired. Now, when speaking of wisdom, it's important that we define what it is. A general sense, a general definition, wisdom can be defined as the appropriate application of knowledge, and that is correct. But for us here today, we're speaking of this godly wisdom, the appropriate application of God's truth. Understanding wisdom, excuse me. In the Bible, particularly the New Testament, there are two types of wisdom. James will highlight this in James chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. Now, we have to make the distinction between what is known as heavenly wisdom, and that is a humility. It begins with a reverence for God. And in the Proverbs, we see Proverbs 9, 10, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But that's also contrasted with an earthly wisdom. Consists of selfish ambition that are motivated by jealousy, covetousness in James' epistle. It's a lust for power. And it's classified as sensual and demonic. Now, in God's common grace, many a man has an earthly wisdom that can be used in very positive ways. Technology and economics and things like that. But the earthly wisdom ultimately attempts to usurp the authority of God. And as we read this morning, wisdom of the world is folly with God. 1 Corinthians 3.19 This is not the wisdom that we are to live by as we looked at the opening scripture. Those who live by this wisdom and reject Jesus Christ are not wise but they are fools. And God will destroy the wisdom of the wise. As we read this morning, 1 Corinthians 18 to 31. And God would choose the foolish. The world would consider foolish to shame the wise. Those who possess the wisdom of this age. Now, acquiring wisdom. So we want the heavenly wisdom. We are to walk in the heavenly wisdom. How do you get this wisdom? This comes when you are born of the Spirit. This comes when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. This is the prerequisite to the wisdom that we're speaking about here today. Because it's in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Colossians 2.3. 1 Corinthians 1.30, Christ Jesus who became wisdom from God and righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. And if you are in Christ... You have this wisdom. Don't miss that. Now, having the wisdom, acquiring it, amen. We need to apply it and we need to grow in it. And that's why very early on in the letter, 
The Apostle Paul would write in chapter 1, verse 17 to 19. In this ongoing journey here in darkness, we need this wisdom. We're to grow in the wisdom. And Paul would write that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what the hope of His calling What are the riches of the glory of the inheritance of these saints? So God's wisdom is acquired in Christ, and it's also called to be applied in the power of the Holy Spirit, may I add. So you could say, knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge and wisdom, we see here, both are very important. But generally speaking, when you speak about the difference between knowledge and wisdom, wisdom is the correct application of God of God's truth, of knowledge. See, knowledge will memorize the scriptures. Scribes and Pharisees can have knowledge. But wisdom obeys and applies the scriptures. Let's talk a little bit about applying the scriptures. Now that we have the initial command, be careful as you, how you walk, not as unwise, but wise, We must look at a couple of things now. We come to terms. And in the Proverbs, in the Bible, you could walk in wisdom in many areas of life. The believer is in all areas. But what we're going to see here in verses 16 and 17, we're going to come to terms with using your time wisely as it corresponds with the will of God. How do you apply this wisdom? You use your time wisely as it corresponds with the will of God. We look at the first mark of walking in this wisdom. Verse 16. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. Now to make the most of your time, you must identify what matters most. Seven days a week, 365 days in a year, 168 hours in a week. You can't do everything. You have to hone in and really identify what matters most. And the way you identify that is what matters most to you ought to matter most to God. What matters most to the one who has granted you this time? It says, make the most of your time. We could easily embellish that as to say, make the most of God's time given unto you. Make the most of God's time. And this transcends into every area of life. You know, you hear a scripture like this and you say, i got to go out and evangelize more. Amen. We have to advance the kingdom of God. We have to have time for that. But when we say make the most of your time, this transcends every area of life for us. It transcends in the church on Sunday. Making the most of your time being here. It's also about personal time with the Lord. It's a balance. And the wisdom of God is not divorced from common sense in many areas. So we want to make the most of our time in church on a Sunday. We want to make the most of our time evangelizing and advancing the kingdom. We want to make the most of our time in our time with God in prayer and in relationships. Making the most of your time in these evil days. If you're married, you got to make the most of your time according to the will of God, not out of the world. How darkness tells you. And your family, as you work, making the most of your time. What matters most, you have to identify. And what matters most to you 
to God ought to matter most to us. It's really about time management. And time management falls under the umbrella of stewardship. It falls under the umbrella of stewardship. Now, your time is God's time. Your life is in Christ. Let's consider what we read early on, way back when, Ephesians 1.5. He predestined us to adoption, speaking of God. Predestined us to adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. We'll read it again. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. Just as Jesus was about his father's business, we in Christ Jesus must also be about our father's business as well. It's interesting, we all have a share in this family business. It's a family business. And we all have a share, and it's about advancing the kingdom of God and pleasing God with our time. Now, we are to walk in good works that God has predestined for us to do. Amen. We are to be zealous for good works. And certainly, good works can come in all, all forms. But as we, our benediction we read last week, I want to bring to your attention 1 Peter 4.10, that each one of you has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. There is no unemployment in this family business, in this kingdom business. So this is about serving the Lord with the gifts, with our time. And it reminds me of the parable of the talents. You know, we, we see the responsibility given to the people in, in that parable, and it's very applicable for us. So we see the talents in Matthew 25, 14 to 30, Luke 19, 11 to 27. Using God's gifts and investing in his work, we must understand that we want to hear, well done thou good and faithful servant. And certainly, when speaking about using the gifts, you can't get around the reality of how we steward our time with the gifts. This is very important. Time plays a huge factor. And we must come to terms with we only have an allotted portion of time here in the earth. This life is but a vapor. So how would we occupy our time if this life is but a vapor? And our time ultimately is God's time. Well, we must understand the limits and boundaries of time. And let's make some consideration when it comes to stewarding our time and stewarding our resources. Let's consider money. We are told, and we probably have it a little more resonated within ourselves, to be good stewards of money. Money we can lose. Money we can make back, give or take. It's interesting, though, when we realize time, we cannot get it back. Can't get back time. Investing your time in godly endeavors, according to the will of God, will have significance in this age and the age to come. Legionnaire Ministries had a conference some years ago, and it was a favorite expression of Aussie Sproul. And it could be interpreted in many different ways, but he would say, right now counts forever. Now, you can interpret that a couple of different ways, but I would say that what we do now, here in the now, has significance in eternity. 
Let's consider 2 Corinthians 5.10, the Bema Seat Judgment. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done in the body, while in the body, whether good or bad. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 as well, all that we do will be evaluated in the Bema Seat Judgment. So therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but wise. And we have an extra incentive here. Because the days are evil. Back to the darkness. Now since the fall, days on earth have been considered evil. There's a curse that has fallen upon creation. And as children of light, we have to navigate through this evil day, as we had stated. And we need the wisdom of God to do so. But we are getting very acclimated to evil. It's as if evil is increasing right in front of our very eyes. And when this happens, evil is on display every day. We can become numb, what we say, anesthetized to what we see. We need the wisdom of God to have the correct discernment, as it was stated this morning. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful who you listen to. As we see in verse 6, which we'll talk a little bit about, we see the evil every day, hence the warning. And many who propagate this evil are in positions of power, and they hate the light. What is the light? Well, remember what we said, light represents, what is the fruit of light? The fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And people in the darkness, children of the dark, sons of disobedience, don't like the light. As it represents godliness and the true God. They understand that. Don't kid yourself. They understand that. And that's why they make a God in their own image. We see the corrupt media pushing communistic ideologies. We see lies which is part of darkness, we see lies incessantly. It's relentless in this day and age. We're seeing them for, for children in schools to the elderly. Latest attempt to suppress the First Amendment. By the ones who propagate disinformation are going to now regulate what is disinformation. It's kind of like an Abbott and Costello episode. <laughs> Some of you know Abbott and Costello, most of you. A couple of younger people don't know what that is, but that's okay. You know, this is this Orwellian mentality. It's this draconian control by thought police. And it's, is it like the Abbott and Costello episode here? Or is this 1984, George Orwell's 1984? Is it on display in 3D? And do we not need the 3D glasses to see what's going on? And we see such misplaced priorities as we looked at Thursday night. We must be about our Father's business and use our time wisely. Needless to say, one of the ways we will use our time wisely is in prayer. And every Wednesday night, we've been praying. We will continue to pray. God, may you Change the evil in this land. God, may you be merciful to this city. God, may you be merciful to our country.
God, may you bring repentance. May you change hearts. May you bring a revival. I'm not going to stop praying for a revival. Many have said it's too far gone, and maybe it is. I don't know that. So I'm going to continue to pray, and I recommend you do as well. May God change our wicked leaders into righteous leaders. And may God change our hearts. May God change our hearts as well, that we may be conformed to the image of Christ. May God give us wisdom we ought to pray. We ought to pray for wisdom so we could walk wisely in these evil days. Brethren, I know it's so easy to become fearful, to become discouraged, to have anxiety, and to become cynical. I get it. But we must not let the evil days draw us away from God. We must allow the evil days to draw us to God. Don't let these evil days depress you. Fix your eyes on the coming king. Be prepared for the blessed hope. Because tomorrow is not promised. As I said, we have an allotted portion of time. And we often hear the phrase, when someone is on their sickbed, when someone is very sick, they're living on borrowed time. But that phrase is for all of us. We're all living on borrowed time. Tomorrow is not promised. Make the most of God's time that he's given you. Because time, you can say, is really lent to you. How do you spend your time? You see, the way you spend your time is often a litmus test. The way your heart is is in in the faith. How do you spend your time with the 168 hours that are in the week? Are there modifications that need to be made? Every time we go to the Word of God... There's always correction. It's always like we, you had said this. It's like the guitar gets out of tune. The guitar needs to be tuned. So do we. And maybe we're in a period now where we have to use our time a little different. That's something to contemplate. As we continue in verse 17. So then don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So then is a purpose clause. And what we see here from verses 16 to 17 is like a hitch on a trailer. The pickup truck has come in verse 16 and is going to hitch now the U-Haul on together because both of these are related. Using your time wisely as it corresponds to the will of God. Now understanding the will of the Lord is a preventative measure against being foolish. That's important for us to understand. So we do not succumb to foolishness We must know and apply the will of God. And certainly, it is all around us and prevalent, these evil days. But it's probably not any more around us today than it was in Noah's day. And someone who used their time wisely in the evil day was Noah. Noah was very much a nonconformist. As the whole world is going 90 miles an hour in the ways of evil, in the ways of darkness, Noah is holding to the will of God. Noah is holding to the word of God. Now, Noah wasn't always wise, but it's a good example as we see in the life of Noah. And certainly the example of Jesus Christ here on earth. I want to draw your attention to John 4.34, when Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me. 
to accomplish his work. Now, we don't have the work that Christ would accomplish, but we do have a work that we ought to accomplish. Now, when we see do not be foolish, this word can mean senseless. It can mean acting rashly. Don't be foolish and get caught up in the evil day. Don't be foolish because you're not fools. You've acquired the wisdom of God through Jesus Christ. And we understand that fools, in Proverbs 1, 7, fools despise wisdom and instruction as it pertains to life in Christ, as it pertains to eternity, as it pertains to the will of God. Now, when we say a fool, a fool is not categorized because of their intellectual incapacities. That's not what this is. Fools have PhDs. Fools have great inf- education. Fools have high IQs. And for those who are heading off to college, you will meet some fools. They will be mer- very intelligent. They may have a lot of prestige, but they are fools. And those going off, as we see in our current day, there's a lack of critical thinking in college. So be wise. Do not listen to everything you hear. As we looked some time ago at Psalm 14, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Or they could say, no God for me. Because there's really no such thing as atheism. Everyone knows they have that. But they could say, there is no God for me. And many come off as wise in the world's eyes. But when you walk in the way of idolatry, creating a God... Because everyone worships and serves something. That is not wise. That is foolish. See an example in Romans chapter 1, verse 22 to 23. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. That's idolatry. They create a God to the liking. We must be careful with that as well, which we'll see. But there are those who have the appearance of godliness that can be fools as well. To know the will of God and not act on it. To know the word of God, like Pharisees and scribes, who propagate works-based righteousness that is foolish. Jeremiah would deal with this in his day as well. Jeremiah 8 and 9. Many got caught up in their traditions, and they would change the word of God. And Jeremiah would say, these wise men are put to shame. Chapter 8, verse 9. They are dismayed and caught. Behold, they have rejected the word of our Lord. What kind of wisdom do they have? So you can know the word, but be foolish as well. It's very, very interesting Jesus words that we find in Matthew 7, 24 to 27. Probably a familiar passage But let's really consider what Jesus said. If you're here today and you've heard these words of Jesus from this pulpit over time, or you've heard them somewhere else and you have not acted upon them, you have not made them your foundation, that is very foolish. I want to read you the words of our Lord. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them They may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, 
And the winds blew and slammed against the house. And yet it did not fall. For it had been founded on the rock. That is Jesus Christ. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house and it fell and great was its fall. Brethren, there's going to be a judgment. There's an upcoming storm that will affect everyone. And we spoke about walking wisely. But before you walk wisely, in the wisdom given of Jesus Christ, you must stand before you could walk. What do you stand on? What is your foundation built upon? If it's not Jesus Christ, if it's part Jesus Christ and part something else, the storm... The storm will destroy your foundation. It's Christ and Christ alone. And a man or woman, sinful people come by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. This is not magic. There's no other remedy. It's Christ alone. If you've heard the word of God and built your house on anything else, you will not stand and that is foolish. Be wise. Receive the Lord Jesus Christ today. Now let's consider the will of God. When understanding the will of God, as we see in verse 17, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The will of God, meaning what is revealed. What we could call, theologians call, the prescriptive will of God. It is the will of Lord. the Lord you will see in the scriptures. It is the will of the Lord your sanctification. It is the will of the Lord that you be holy. What is revealed... In the word of God, that's what we are to practice. And by doing so, we will use our time wisely. But there is something that Christians can become very foolish with. And that is trying to figure out the unknown will of God. What is called the decretive will of God. God's secret will. And many, many get caught up in these rabbit trails of trying to figure this out. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Let me read you something. The secret things belong to the Lord, our God. But the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. And it applies to the New Testament, the word of God. You see, we can get caught up in these prophetic jigsaw puzzles about the end times that never seem to pan out. And the same people that wrote books in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, the very same books get republished. They get reprinted and repackaged with the same failed prophetic content, only to say, well, one of these days it'll be true. (laughs) Probably not. And before we become people who start playing pin the tail on the Antichrist, we are wise not to be speculative. Let's abstain from speculations, but let's understand what is revealed. Follow the instructions. But every time we come to the Bible, we understand that we are to learn from the Word of God, and consequently, we can learn from the mistakes of others 
in the Word of God. And I'd be remiss if I did not bring up one such person, and that would be Solomon. So if you can, please turn with me to 1 Kings if you're not already there. I want to just read you a couple of things. Solomon, known as the wisest man, human, who ever lived. How did the wisest man who ever lived become foolish? It's really happened. In 1 Kings chapter 3, we're going to look at verses, take it from 5 and we'll go to 14. I want to just read you this account, if you're not already familiar with it. I think it'll do us well. Understand that Solomon had a task to fulfill, given to him. He was going to be the king of Israel and take over where his father David had left off. And verse 5, hear the word of God. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. And God said, ask what you wish me to give you. And we just go to verse 7. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father. Yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen, a great people, who are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people and discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? very wise sentiment from a man who understood he needed the wisdom of God for this task. We continue with verse 10. We see the Lord answer him. As the Lord came in the dream at night, the Lord would answer. It was pleasing, the request Solomon made, it was pleasing in sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked yourself discernment to understand justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart, so that there has been no one like you before, nor shall one like you arise after you. I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there will not be any among the kings like you for all your days. If you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments as your father David walked. I'll repeat verse 14 conditionally. If you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments as your father walked then I will prolong your days. A very wise man over a period of time became foolish because he got caught up with the darkness of this world and the people and idolatry that we spoke about. Because you must understand, Solomon, in Deuteronomy 17, God told Israel's kings not to acquire many horses, wives, or wealth that they would put their trust in that instead of trusting in God. And understand something. Solomon never renounced God. But Solomon took a little bit of God, a little bit of the synchristic 
uh, ideologies of his day, the worldviews of that day. He took upon wives as being unequally yoked, and it cost him. How did it get this way? It was inevitably his sin. What was the sin? The sin was idolatry. And in your heart, my heart, as John Calvin said, there is a factory of idols. This will not cease until we are glorified. You have the propensity to create idols. So be careful. What is an idol? You may say, I I don't do that anymore. I've come out of that life. I don't pray to saints anymore. An idol is anything that is competing with God in your life. That's just a quick definition. Idols waste our time. And idols distract us from the will of God. Let's consider this man who built the temple for the Lord in 1 Kings chapter 6, started building high places. And in 1 Kings 11, he found himself in this place of syncretism, in a place of idolatry. He was not the same man. And it shows you the downward spiral of spiritual compromise. Solomon did not become a fool overnight. It's very important to understand that. So brethren, we close by saying the evil days, the darkness of this age, the worldviews of this age, these evil days By necessity, we must be careful how we walk. We must walk wisely as we make this pilgrimage on the earth. Although we have the wisdom of Christ, we don't always exercise the wisdom of Christ. Hence the warning. There are obstacles that you've encountered. There'll be traps. There'll be more obstacles till the Lord take us home. We may even be tempted to depart off this path of light to the path of least resistance. Maybe it's going to get darker. Good possibility. Understand that he who began a good work in you will see it to completion until the day of Christ. You will make it to the finish line. The Lord will preserve you. But we can get a little sloppy. We can make a mess of our life. There is no more appealing path. There may seem appealing. There is not a better path. Everything else except Christ and the wisdom of Christ is foolishness. The mighty. Those in this world who seem to be running the world will be brought to nothing. And those who raise their fist at God, God will crush. They will not last they will have the final verdict of fools. So be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your instruction, Lord. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. And Father, as we see in verse 18, Lord, We will need to be under the influence of your spirit, Lord. Help us, Lord, walk this walk. Help us, Lord, to exercise this godly wisdom, this heavenly wisdom. Father, we are grateful, Lord. for We know we are victorious in Jesus Christ. And that does not change. We thank you most importantly, Lord, 
Not what we have done, not what we will do, for what Jesus Christ, the almighty, victorious, conquering king, for what he has done, it is finished. And Father, may we continue to walk in his footsteps in victory. In Jesus' name, amen.